reading is from Hebrews 12, verses 3 to 13. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose hope. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father of son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts. Son, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters before. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his whole. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, painful. Later on, however, it produces the harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather today. Well, I obviously picked the wrong microphone to tell you to use, hun. Sorry about that. Well, here I am back again, church, um, and uh, this morning we're into week nine of our series, Fix Your Eyes, uh, where we've been working through the book of Hebrews. Our passage is Hebrews 12, 3 to 13, though I'm going to be pushing out uh, into a couple of verses either side, so if you do have a Bible handy, it, it, it would be good to have it there to look at. Last week, John said chapter 11 was his favourite chapter. Well, well, this isn't my favourite chapter because I think the, the subject matter is, is a bit thorny uh, for some. I don't know how you responded. Um, there's one word that comes out through all that and it is discipline, discipline. Uh, and I guess tied into discipline is, is, is often associated the word suffering. And um, I find that even as a church, we're uncomfortable associating God with suffering of any kind. While outside the church, uh, much biblical wisdom about child discipline has been labelled as abusive. And I know this passage would raise, raise the hackles on the necks of some of my friends, even some within the church. Uh, so I've found it a difficult sermon to pre prepare for because I want to be sensitive to those of us that, that find this disturbing, but I also want to be faithful to God's word. And uh, 
part of me is, is wanting to, to defend God and the other part of me is, is wanting to rebuke the church because that's what I think this passage is doing. I've titled this message The Encouragement of Discipline and even that sounds a little bit contradict- contradictory, doesn't it? It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an oxymoron in, in one sense but I just ask you to, to stick with me. And we look back to last week, John preached that it's impossible to please God without faith and that we are right to ask Jesus to increase our faith. And it is here where I want to overlap with John in, in grabbing back verses 1 and 2, which John felt were, were properly in, in verse 11. And, and look, I, I agree. They tie in with verse 11, but they're also very important to this part. You see, verse 1 reads, Therefore... Since we, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, definitely chapter 11, but then it says, let us, and let us leads us into what chapter 12 is about. And what follows through to verse 15 is what we should be doing to allow God to increase our faith. And whereas John finished his message with Jesus, uh, we must start our message with Jesus. You may recall uh, a couple of weeks ago I, I preached and, uh, and again I overlapped with Steve from the week before. So for two weeks you got to hear uh, Hebrews 10.19 which says, We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. You see, Jesus is our great high priest who leads us into the presence of God. Jesus can lead us because he has blazed the trail for us and is seated with the Father, as it says here in Hebrews 12, verse 2. And Jesus' goal is to bring his church, us, into the Father's presence. So the writer's been urging us to not give up on following Jesus. That was in chapter 10. To persevere in our faith in chapter 11. And now to embrace God's gift of discipline so that we will reach that goal of entering into God's kingdom. And while our salvation is all Jesus, we are active participants, as indicated by let us, that phrase of verse 1. The first thing the passage said is, says is, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now I've noticed that verse 1 really is, is paired with verse 15 as it relates to that theme of hazards that can trip us up. And verse 15 there is, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Did you notice that word in there, many? The writer here is addressing the community. The problems are not so much a a crisis of faith of the individual, but those shared by the whole church. And I just wanted to really point that out because we're an individual society. When we read these passages, we think, 
what is this for me? But really, he's addressing the churches and, and their problems. And for example, we're accustomed to a culture that treats religion as a consumer product that should make us prosperous and happy. I'm sure you've heard that. God is the loving God whose purpose is to make us happy. And I think when we have that mentality, when things go south, we're sort of saying, well, God, what have I done? We, we, we automatically go that way. But when re- reality hits and our experience doesn't live up to our expectations, we become disillusioned. What have I done? And our suffering becomes a challenge to faith for the community. The sin of this is that we begin to judge God. You know, why are you doing this to me, God? What's, what's going on? You know, it, it can't be me. I, I can't see any faults here. It must be you. Uh, and when we start judging God like that, we, we, we've really stopped trusting God. And this is the type of thing that threatened the Hebrew church. We don't know the details. Uh, some of the commentaries I've read have suggested that uh, it was their belief that Christ had not returned in the time that they expected. But maybe it was something else. We really don't know. And the writer could have addressed that specific issue, but instead he answers with a rebuke in verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? What he's, what he's starting off is saying is that you should know better. You should know better than entertaining doubts about my trustworthiness. Just because your experience doesn't match your expectations. So what are the things the Hebrews should have known that would have killed that doubt? Well, let's look at verses 5 and 6. My son, do not make light of the, of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now the writer there is he's quoting uh, from Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12. Uh, when we have doubts, the first thing we should recall is that God loves us. He loves us as a father loves a child, his child. Now, not all of us have had that experience of a loving father, but we can all imagine what that would be like. And it's in this verse where it introduces that troublesome word, discipline. We need to recognise that God's discipline is given in wisdom and love. To label God's wisdom as anything less than kindness is really to import our own personal views into the text. Now another thing that kills doubt is found in verses 10 and 11. So let's look there. What I want to grab out of that is that God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. When we ask God to grow our faith, 
we should expect discipline. Jesus says in, in Matthew 7, 9 to 11, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We need to recognise that discipline is a good gift from God. And also that discipline has an end purpose. Now as parents, our discipline is so that our children can, can function and contribute to the family and the, and the larger community. We want to prepare our children to survive and flourish in the world. That's what good parents do. Verse 11 reads, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And I'm sure we can all attest to painful times in our upbringing. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I don't know about you, but uh, um, that's been my experience. I probably haven't appreciated my father's discipline uh, as a young man, but but, but, uh, I do now. And uh, it's one of those things when you have kids of your own, suddenly you look at your parents through new eyes, don't you? (laughs) We parents do what we think is best and we mightn't get that positive feedback for for many years. And even then it's, it's not always positive. God does what is best for us and it is for a purpose, that we may share in his holiness and that we may see a harvest of righteousness and peace. And discipline is part of that process of our sanctification, whereby we are continually being made more and more holy and being empowered to persevere in obedience, as Christ did. When we reach our final destination, into the presence of God, we will be confirmed in a character like his and enjoy intimate fellowship with him. Now, I confess this, confu- this future reality exceeds my ability to, to comprehend. And much like a child, I have to trust my God is training me for my eternal good, even when the end goal is beyond my comprehension. So if the result of discipline are not immediately noticeable, how should we approach hardships? Well, let's take a look at verse 7. It reads, Endure hardship as discipline. Now, the base from the Greek word that is here translated endure is derived from hypo, I don't know if you're up to this yet, Cassie, in, in, or you're doing Hebrew, aren't you? Not Greek. This is what you've got to look forward to. You have to learn these words. Hypo means under and meno means remain. So the meaning includes remain under, remain behind, bear the load, stand your ground, persevere, 
wait, be patient, and of course, endure. So here, the, the, the writer is saying to the Hebrew church that they are to endure, stand their ground, and bear the load of hardships, like the persecution that they had experienced. And to see it as discipline from God that is building a Christ-like character in them. That is the message from verses 1 to 3, where the word endure occurs another three times. Though in my Bible, endure at one occasion is translated as perseverance. So let me read 1 to 3. And let us run with endurance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're called to endure with our eyes fixed on Jesus. He is the pioneer, the one who blazed the trail. I love that expression. He blazed that trail for us to follow. Jesus is the one who has truly bore the load of judgment, of our judgment. And he's the one that is making a way for us to come into the Father's presence. And did you notice there? He did it with joy. That blows my mind. First three asks us to consider the burden that Jesus endured with joy as motivation for us to persevere with those challenges that we face and to learn from them. The end of this verse reminds me again that God is treating us as his children when he disciplines us. And the writer tells us how we should teach God in response in verse 9. It reads, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Now, I love these how much more arguments that we we read in, in Hebrew writings. Here we have the comparison between our natural father the fathers of the flesh, with God, the father of the spirits. Now for me, besides a a few rebellious years, I dare say that, that I did submit to my father's discipline and I did respect him, more so in these later years. And I think the reason I did so is because I knew he generally had my best interests at heart even though, like all human fathers, he made mistakes. God, our Heavenly Father, has nothing but our best interests at heart. And he doesn't make mistakes. How much more should we submit to his discipline and give him the respect and honour that he deserves? 
the writer again puts in a, a little word to remind us what is at stake. The word is live, the father of spirits and live. We, at any time, we can opt out of being a child of God. But consider what we lose as we look at verse 8, which is the apex of the writer's argument. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. I was asked uh, the other day, what is the difference between the experience of God's discipline and garden variety suffering? I thought it was a really good question and, uh, and, and it had me scratching my head for, for, for quite a while. But from our passage in preparing this um, study, this, this uh, sermon, I would say the difference is the results. After the initial shock of suffering has passed and you've, you've had time to reflect on the situation, you can ask yourself, has our faith grown from this? Are we trusting God more than before? Are we enduring hardships as discipline? See, discipline, like any other form of education, seeks to modify behaviour. You got that? Discipline is to change something, change your behaviour. By comparison, uh, I, I thought of Revelation 9, uh, where it notes that suffering fails to generate repentance among those who do not believe. In verse 8, the writer explains that the Father does not discipline those who are not his children. And, and the Hebrews, probably more than us, would, would understand this verse. In their culture, uh, education was only offered to those that would inherit the father's estate. The illegitimate child could not expect to receive any education. I mean, what's the point? They're not gonna, they, don't, they won't have to take over and manage the estate. Receiving God's discipline to the Hebrew readers identifies the church as the children of God. No discipline, not children, disciplined children. Now, I don't know if that helps you at all. I don't know if that, that helps you to uh, have a mindset that will endure suffering, knowing that, that God is educating you to be an heir of his kingdom. But that's what's going on. I don't know if it encourages you or not to, to follow Jesus' example, to embrace his discipline with joy. But that is the point that the writer is trying to communicate to us. We'll look at verse 3 and 12 and uh, we see that God wants us, his church, to succeed. The writer of Hebrews tells us the hard work has been accomplished by Jesus. All we have to do is fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him. The problem is that we hold on to things that we should, we should have cast aside. We allow 
doubts to entangle us and bitterness to trip us up. Back in chapter 10, in, in, uh, in verses 24 to 25, we, we re- had read, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now the same concern for communal care is expressed in verse 13 where the writer encourages us to make level paths. In other words, get rid of those trip hazards. And it goes on to say, so that the lame... So the lame may be healed. The lame, I don't know who you think the lame is, but but it comes to mind that the lame are those within our midst who aren't strong of faith, who, who are on the edge. What happens with us, how they interact with us, can, can make or break them. Get rid of those things that, that break them. Make a level path so that the lame may be healed rather than, dis- than disabled. I think that's what it's talking about here. We do this individually and we, we do this communally by exercising our faith, affirming our trust in God and fixing our eyes on Jesus. One of my commentaries had these couple of quotes and I, I, I love them. Suffering is not a sign of the absence of God but of God's act of forming his children to inherit his kingdom. The question is not why God allows us to suffer, but what God is teaching us now. I hope you can take that and, uh, and, uh, and dwell on it and, and think about it. Think about what's happening in your own lives. Think about what's happening in, in the church's life and, and how it applies to you. As I was preparing this, um, my thoughts went back to Pilgrim's Progress. Has anyone read that book? There's a few hands. Good. Probably haven't read it for a long time. Dig it out and have a read. I, uh, I want to just share with you, because I actually thought of the, the final scene where they've come to... Um, if you, if you like, the, the gates of heaven are in front of them and there's a river between. And I just want to read out of, 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 of condense this down, but I just want to read out part of Pilgrim's Progress. Now I further saw that betwixt them and the gate was a river, but there was no bridge to go over. The, ri- the river was very deep. At the sight, therefore, of the river, the pilgrims were much stunned. But the men that went in with them said, You must go through or you cannot come at the gate. They then addressed themselves to the water and entering, Christian began to sink. And crying out to his good friend, hopeful, he said, I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. All his waves go over me. Then said the other, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it is good. Then said Christian, Ah, my friend, the sorrows of death 
hath encompassed me about. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with that, a great darkness and horror fell upon Christian, so that he could not see before him. Hopeful, therefore, he had much ado to keep his brother's head above water. Yea, sometimes he would be quite gone down, and then ere a while he would rise up again, half dead. Hopeful also would endeavour to comfort him, saying, Brother, I see the gate, and men standing by to receive us. But Christian would answer, It is you, it is you they wait for. You have been hopeful ever since I knew you. And so have you, said he to Christian. Be of good cheer, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And with that, Christian broke out with a loud voice. Oh, I see him again. And he tells me, when thou passest through the water, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. Then they both took courage, and the enemy was after that as still as stone until they were gone over. Christian, therefore, presently found ground to stand on, and so it followed that the rest of the river was but shallow. Thus they got over. Now upon the bank of the river on the other side they saw the two shining men again, who there waited for them. Wherefore, being come out of the river, they saluted them, saying, We are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. Thus they went along the road towards the gate. Now the the commentator here noted that Bunyan offers pastoral compassion to readers by having his protagonist with a strong faith struggle in death. Yes, we are called to be like hopeful and trust in Christ, who conquered death and removed its sting. But if we become weak with fear as we face the unknown or the horrific, God is faithful to his promises. With his everlasting arms, he saves all who have faith, little or great. What confidence, hope and encouragement that gives us that God brings home even those who falter at the end. That it's all of grace from beginning to end. Well, that's all I have for you. I, I've, I found um, Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, quite inspiring in, as I view my own journey and communally as our journey in faith. And, uh, and I would encourage you to read it and to, to view discipline as that gift from God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you only do what is good for us. We thank you that Jesus has blazed that path to you, Lord, uh, and that it is, it, is, it is all him, it is all grace. Lord, help us to remove those things that hinder us as we journey towards you. And Lord, build in us that faith. Lord, we, we gladly receive your discipline as you do so. We just commit ourselves to you, Lord, and and, uh, and we look forward to the end of our journey. In Jesus' name.